Amen. All right. Well, let me hopefully get some things going on there for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Philippians 3, 10 to 14, John 13, and Psalm 119 as well. We'll, we'll get to that. There is a title for you, A Sober Self-Examination. Now, how many of you like examinations, whatever form they come in? Put up your hand if you like writing exams. Ashley, are you weird? Yeah, okay, that's cool. All right. If, uh, if, you ask, um, if you ask most year 12s if they, li- they, they like writing exams, what do they say? Nah. If you were, uh, if I'm uh, asking my son, he's just started to, to write exams, he's year nine. Does he like writing exams? What did he say? Nah. But actually, exams are really good things, aren't they? Why? Because they're meant to what? They're meant to test what you, what you know and what you, what you don't know. I mean, is it good to go to a doctor and have an examination? Yes or no? Yeah, well, it's good. It's good, isn't it? I mean, you go to a doctor and hopefully after the examination, they do a bit of a health status and then they can give you some stuff and then you're going to improve. Something like that. How many of you love the examination that comes from house inspections? Those of you that are renting. Is it lovely? You love those house, ins- those house inspections? But it's actually a good thing, isn't it? Because the, 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 the renter wants to know if the rentee has, is looking after his house. Examinations are very important things. And in fact, the Bible tells us that we need to examine Lots of things. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 11, you see that little clock at the bottom? That's not how long left on my sermon, by the way, three minutes. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble of noble character than, the, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they did what? They examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Here's a question for you. Are you one of those that when you hear something in the name of the Lord, you go and test it, you examine it against the Scriptures? Do you do that? I hope so. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. I wonder that when you come to communion, when we do it once a month, do you truly examine yourself? Do you look at your heart? Do you look at what's going on? Before you eat that bread and take that cup, do you examine yourself? Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. We are called to examine ourselves to see whether we are saved. I wonder if you do that. 1 John, the whole letter of 1 John is a series of tests to examine, to know whether you are truly saved. I wonder whether you do that regularly. Do you test yourself to see whether you are saved? Now, I think it is true to say that examining someone else's life is far easier than examining your own. True? It's probably safe to say that when it comes to examining someone else's life, we actually think that we're pros. We're professionals at doing that. But when it comes to examining our own lives, we're actually quite amateurish. Remember Jesus said, take the plank out of your eye before you take the splinter out of someone else's eye. Well, taking the plank out is one thing. I first got to see the plank. And we really don't want to see that or know that, do we? 
We've been on this uh, discipleship-making series for about the past eight to ten weeks, and here are the questions that we've been looking at. We've been examining these questions. Why make disciples? What is a disciple? How are disciples made? Who makes disciples? Where to make disciples? As we've examined these questions, I am pretty sure that you would be convinced and convicted of that statement. I'm sure that we'd all be able to say here this morning, we are all to make disciples on the authority of the risen Jesus of all nations, here and there, always learning Jesus together, prayerfully, patiently, depending upon the Spirit for growth. I doubt there is anybody here that wouldn't agree with that statement, right? So what we've got to do as a body, what we've got to do as a unit, is what we've got to do as a local church family. We have got to test ourselves. We've got to examine ourselves. And we've got to ask questions like this. We've got to start a a process by saying, well, how does BBC line up on discipleship? What are some of the obstacles or the problems that prevent us from making disciples? What do we need to address? What do we need to change? How do we get there? That is an examination that we need to take. And God willing, we will do that next year. We will ruthlessly but patiently examine those questions in the light of our discipleship-making culture. But this morning, I want us to take a very personal examination. Within this context of making disciples, I want you and I to ask ourselves a couple of really hard questions. In fact, it's really one question and then it's a, it's, it's a how. In other words, before we examine others, we examine who? Ourselves. Before we examine the church, we examine ourselves. You see, it's very easy to sit here and say, well, we know the church leadership should be trying to make disciples. We know the leadership should be taking people from darkness into light. We know that the church leadership should be trying to move people to the right. We'll put up a picture in a moment. But what about us? What about me personally? What about you personally? That examination has got to start with us. Let me put up that picture. I think it's coming up. Have a look at that picture. So we're absolutely convinced, and hopefully you're somewhere here. Most of you here this morning will be here somewhere. You're a learner driver of Jesus, and we know the whole discipleship-making process. But I want to ask you, wherever you are over here, I want you to take a very personal examination this morning. And here's the question. As you look at that diagram, I want to ask you this question. If you're here somewhere, are you personally, could you go back to that diagram? Are you personally committed to moving to the right? That's the question I want to ask you. Are you personally committed to moving to the right? And to the right, I don't mean politically. To the right, I mean becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's the question. That's the examination this morning. Are you, am I, personally committed to becoming more like Jesus? And the question that I will ask secondly is how do we do that? How do we do that? 
If you've got your Bible, open up with me to Philippians chapter 3. It will come up on the screen as well. And let's start here. This was read to us. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the first thing I want you to see. What's the very first letter? What's the very first word? I. Think about that. I. I personally, what Paul is saying, Paul the Apostle, Paul, the greatest missionary of God ever used in the history of the world, personally says, I want to know Christ. I personally want to know Him. And in the Greek, that that tense is continuous, meaning I want to know Christ and I want to know Him more and more and more. But look at the text carefully, verse 10, and notice that this is not some sort of theoretical thing. It's not some sort of intellectual thing. It's not some sort of head knowledge thing. Because what does he say? I want to know two things. I want to know what? I want to know the power of the resurrection of Christ, and I want to know his death. I want to participate in his death, and you could put it this way, and I want to participate in his resurrection. What does it mean to know Christ in his death? What does it mean to know Christ in his resurrection? It means to embody Christ. It means to embrace him. It means, listen, and it's still a bit theoretical, but it it means to, 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 to live his life, to live his death, to live his resurrection. It's not merely listening to Jesus in his word. It's not merely looking at Jesus in his word. It's not merely watching Jesus as he walks around on the pages of scripture in the gospels. It's living Christ. It's living his life, living his death. He said, but Paul, what does that mean? What does that mean in practice? What does that look like? It means that I have to learn to apply the death and resurrection of Jesus to my life. I have to learn to apply it. Let me put it this way, and I'm going to open this up practically. Our greatest need here at BBC is not knowing the gospel. We all know the gospel. As someone said to me recently in the week, BBC is really taught well. It's a wonderful thing to hear. I think our greatest need is to learn to live the gospel, to live the death of Christ, to live his resurrection. It means that our lives are wrapped up in him, in his death, in his life. What does that mean? It means that whatever I've got going on in my life at any given moment, I have to examine myself. I have to ask these sort of tough questions. For example, how does the death and resurrection of Christ apply to my marriage? How does it apply to my broken marriage? How does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ apply to spiritual, emotional, physical abuse in my home? How does does the gospel apply to justice? How does the gospel apply to injustice? How does the gospel apply to prodigal sons and daughters who have left home? How does the gospel apply to forgiveness? How does the death and resurrection of Jesus apply to loneliness, to to depression, to mental illness, to sickness, whatever's going on, to trees that are falling down and landing on the head of family members? 
How does the gospel apply to the vaccine? How does the death and resurrection of Jesus apply to Christian parents that have got disabled children? How does the gospel apply to the good things, all the good things that we enjoy? What it means, what it means is that, is that every single time I suffer, every single time I go through some form of suffering. I'm participating in the death of Christ. And every joy and every victory over temptation and every bit of godliness and every bit of good life is a participation in His resurrection. If you want to say to me, Paul, what is the greatest need of this church? It is to learn this verse. It is this verse that needs to be taken apart, undone, examined, and applied in the next days, weeks, months that lie ahead. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Let's listen to that. So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Do you see that? We carry His death. We live His death in suffering. And we live His life. In godly resurrection. But what that means practically is that if I am going to, to, to know Christ, if I'm going to move to the right, if I'm going to become more like Christ, if I'm going to have my life embody the life and death of Jesus Christ, it means that I've got to live a life where I am constantly examining myself. It means that you and I have got to keep on examining our habits our speech, our behavior, our relationships, our activities, our pursuits, our priorities. What that means practically is that I examine myself and I have got to allow others into that space. I've got to allow others to come in and, and speak into my life to, to express what they see that I don't want to see or can't see. I want to ask you a, a question this morning as you take this little personal examination. Are you, really, are you really willing to allow another Christian learner to speak into your life to try and show you some of the plank items that are in your eye? Are you really willing to do that? Are you willing for them to speak? Are you willing for them to express that? And I know that is not easy because we don't like it. We don't want it. We don't want to see what they see. Now, it doesn't mean that another Christian learner is always going to see the picture rightly. But most of the time, they are right. Aren't they? Because they see what you can't see. A couple of weeks ago now, I went to a, I was in a Christian meeting. It was a Christian meeting of leaders. And uh, during this meeting, this uh, particular Christian leader made a very, very hurtful, offensive, insensitive comment where I was concerned. It was something personally directed at me. But no one else, no one else in the Christian leadership group, they, they wouldn't have picked it up. They, they wouldn't have noted it. The meeting went on. I was, I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. And uh, I... I got hold of the Christian leader after the meeting and I said to them that you really hurt me. You really embarrassed me. You offended me by what you said. And their response was amazing. The person responded by saying that they didn't intend that. 
but they can see how it hurt. They acknowledged it. There was no excuses. There was no justification. And what came back was a genuine, sincere apology for the hurt and an asking for the forgiveness. Wow. That was humility. I hope that I would respond. And I hope that you would respond in such a way when people would point out sins or insensitivities on our part. But have a look at this. Just pressing on in the passage, uh, look, look what Paul says in verse 12. He says, but listen, I, in this, this whole moving to the right, this whole becoming like Jesus, he says, I haven't already obtained all this. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I do press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he says, I, he says again, verse 13, I haven't yet taken hold of it, but there's one thing that I do. I, I forget what's behind and I'm straining towards what is ahead. I, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for that which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. Christian learner drivers haven't arrived, have they? Do we ever get there? I got this thing sussed. I got this Christian thing sussed. I got this Jesus deal all organized, right? Paul says, he says it three times in three verses. I haven't arrived, I haven't arrived, I haven't arrived, meaning I never get there. I never fully get there. While I live in this, this, this body of death, this sinful thing that I live in, I will never arrive. And you see, therefore, it takes a great deal of humility to examine yourself and to keep on examining yourself because you never, ever get there. But just look at the passage again. I want you to see something else. Look at verse 13. I want you to sense something of the urgency that Paul is talking about. He says, I haven't got there. I haven't got there. I haven't got there. But here's the thing I do. There's one thing that I do. I want to I I forget what's behind. I want to go towards what's ahead. And, and I want to I go on towards the prize which, for which Christ has called me. And, and you've got it. The way it's written in the Greek, you've got to feel something of the passionate, fervent urgency with which Paul says, I want to move to the right. I want to be like Christ. I want to carry his death. I want to carry his life. It's an urgent thing. This is no Lazise fair sort of thing. It's no Sunday stroll. Take it easy, come what may. It's a single-minded, devoted commitment to what Christ has called him personally, and that is to move towards him. And when Paul says things like, I'm on a, I want to forget what's behind and go towards what, what is ahead, what he's talking about is this. He's saying, the one, he's saying things like this. He's saying, I want to put behind me all that self-righteous working for salvation. In, this, in the context of Philippians 3, chapter 5. In the words of Hebrews chapter 12, it's getting rid of all that sin that's going to trip him up on, 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 his, on his walk. He wants to keep getting rid of sin. In other words, forgetting what's behind. I want to keep throwing off the old man, the old person, the old Paul, the old... I want to keep on putting to death the deeds of the body. And I just want to keep my mind and my heart and my soul focused on moving towards Christ. I want to put the rubbish behind and I want to go towards the righteousness. When Paul talks about behind and forward, what he's saying is I need to keep unlearning all the old, all the old entrenched lies and habits and, and, and behaviors and thoughts that we, that we accumulate over a lifetime. I want to keep putting it behind, keep putting it behind, and I want to keep going after 
Christ. And here's the thing. If you're going to keep unlearning the rubbish and keep pursuing Christ, you've got to keep on examining yourself. You've got to keep on the hard questions. You've got to keep looking. My habits, my thoughts, my desires, my, my, desires, my pursuits, my, my priorities, whatever they might be. It was, the, uh, it was the old Greek philosopher Socrates who said that an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. Let me put a Christian spin on it. An unexamined Christian life will not grow. An unexamined Christian life will not grow. So here's my first question. Are you fervently, passionately, urgently pursuing Christ? Are you passionately, fervently, urgently seeking to carry his death and live his resurrection? Which brings us to the second question, doesn't it? How? How do we do that? How do you pursue Christ? How do you do it with a single-minded, hearted devotion? How do you do that? If you had to ask that question to the average, Christ, uh, the average Christian, what might you hear? How do you grow? What's the standard stock item? Reply. Read your Bible more and pray more, right? If you go and ask the average Christian, listen, how's your walk with Jesus going? Very often you hear something like, well, it could be better I should read my Bible more and pray more. Oh, that is such a terrible answer. It sucks. That is bad medicine for spiritual ailment and spiritual atrophy. Bad. Some of you are looking at me funny. I will explain. You want to know what it looks like? Let me give you the answer, and I'm going to unpack it for you, and I'm going to apply it for you. Here's how you grow. We grow as the Word of God, the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We grow as the Word of God is vigorously applied to our hearts by the Spirit. That's how you grow. Now, have a look at that carefully. Please understand this. You notice that, that who is the agent of growth? The Spirit. You don't save yourself, and you don't grow yourself. You can't do that. You cannot grow yourself. You can't save yourself. That's the Spirit's work. But what the Spirit does is the Spirit takes the Word of God and He applies it to the heart for salvation, and He takes the Word of God, the Gospel, and applies it to the heart for growth and sanctification. But what does that look like for us? For those of us that have been brought into the kingdom of light, what does it look like for us? What does that mean? What is the shape of that? I'm going to, I'm going to show it to you in Psalm 119. And you'll be very thankful that we won't do all 176 verses. Right. I'll just give you six. Here we go. Hold on to your seats. Okay? 
Pick up the word. It's looking for one word. How do I grow? How do I grow? One word. Here it comes. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Though the rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. 27, cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I might meditate on your wonderful deeds. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I might meditate on your decrees. Verse 78, may the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. The agent of growth is the Holy Spirit. And the agency that the Holy Spirit uses to bring growth is the gospel vigorously applied to the heart. So let me put it to you like this. To grow, to become more like Christ will not happen by reading your Bible more. It will not happen. It is by inwardly digesting the Bible more. It's not about listening to more sermons or reading more of the Bible or having more quiet times. To use the words of the vine and the project, it's growing, it's a growing intensity, I love this word, of engaging with the Word of God. That's how you grow. That's that's what you have to do in order that the Spirit is going to grow you. You have to intensely engage. I'll explain that in just a moment. Do you understand here this morning that none of you sitting here, there is no shortage of the Word of God for you? Did you know that? You can come here every single Sunday and listen to the Word of God. You can go to a connect group every week and listen to the Word of God. You can go onto the internet and listen to a gazillion sermons from brilliant preachers, men and women, all around the the world. You can listen to podcasts and YouTube clips and everything else under the sun. Our problem is not a deficiency in hearing the word. It's a deficiency in marking, learning, digesting the word. To use the old psalmist word, which the Puritans love to use, it is to meditate on the word. Listen to this quote from Thomas White. He said, quote, It is better to hear one sermon only and meditate on that than hear two sermons and not meditate on either. Wow. What does it mean? What's it mean to meditate on the Word? What does it mean to, to engage with the Word of God? Let me, let me unpack this. What it means, firstly, is that you come to the Word of God with an attitude that says, I want this Word, this Gospel, I want it to shape and mold my life. You don't come to the Word of God arrogantly thinking that you've arrived, you've got there, you've got this all figured out, you know what it's going to say before it's going to say it. You come with this urgent attitude that you want to forget what behind and press on towards what's ahead. You, you, you're coming with that intensity to go, I want to learn, I want to, to, to grow, I want to put the ungodliness behind, I want to strive, I want to strain, I want to go for godliness. It's this attitude that says that when I come to the Word of God, I want to be nourished, I want to be replenished, I want to be changed, I want to be convicted, I want to be, I want to be grown by the Word of God. 
It means that when you're reading the word, you've got to pay very careful attention. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. My son and my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. It means that when you come to the Word of God, you, 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 you pay careful attention. You want it to penetrate into the soul. You want it to get deep down in there. You want it to be part of you. You want it to sink in. It means that when you read the Word, you read a passage of Scripture, and you reread it, and you reread it, and you reread it, and you think about it, and you rethink, and you rethink, and you rethink, until this thing is starting to expose you, challenge you, chasten you, convict you, open you up. And, and, and what does it mean practically when you're engaging like this with the Word of God? It's these sort of questions that you've got to ask yourself. And what, what am I reading? Do I believe this? Do I truly believe this is what this is saying? How does this apply? How, how does my life reflect this? Where am I seeing this? Where am I not seeing this? Do I need to repent? And you say, all right, Paul, how's that work in practice? I'm going to give it to you. Practically and personally. John chapter 13. All right, don't need to turn you there. I read it for you earlier. John 13, Jesus and the foot washing, right? You all know the story, don't you? Ah, you've read it how many times? Probably heard it preached a million times. Monday morning. Monday morning, I got up a little bit earlier and uh, I uh, mosey on my way through, through the Gospel of John and it was John chapter 13. And uh, I sort of need to apply what I preach, right? And uh, I, I, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and I decided I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chew on this. I'm going to meditate on this. I, if, you, if you'll excuse the pun, I'm going to allow this word to wash through my soul. And uh, I read the story, and I read the story. And uh, again, if you forgive the pun, this is the real kicker in the passage, isn't it? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, feet kicker, you should also wash one another's feet. And as I thought about this and thought about it and thought about it, as I started to get some of the Velcro on my heart, I was suddenly dumbstruck and awed by the humility of Christ. Thinking about the incarnate Son of God that would become a man that would take off his outer clothes, put on a towel and get down and wash the stinky, dirty feet of his disciples. I was profoundly struck by the, by the one who paints the skies with the stars and the moon and the planets and everything else, that this one would become a man even obedient to, 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 to be a servant even even unto death on the cross. I mean, the foot, the foot washing. I mean, that's just a mere foreshadowing of the greatest foot washing that takes place at the cross when Jesus washes our souls, cleanses us from all our sin. And as I was thinking about it and reading it, and suddenly Philippians chapter 2 was popping into my head where it says this in your relationships with one another. You should have the, mind, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant, being made in the human, human likeness, a found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He, himself. he even became obedient to death on the cross. And, and, and as I was mulling and meditating, suddenly my heart was drawn to an awe, to a wonder, and to a worship of Jesus Christ. 
as I was uh, sitting there in the lounge and, and looking at 14, particularly 15, I've set you an example that you should do as, 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 as I have done for you. I, I began to ask myself these sort of questions. Am I washing the feet of my brothers and sisters? Am I willing to serve no matter what? No matter how dirty and filthy and stinky it gets, am I prepared to serve? Are there any things that I'm not willing to do? Are there any acts of kindness or service I'm not willing to do? Am I greater than my master? And then sort of, 17 suddenly became alive because it says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I had to ask myself, am I being blessed? Am I experiencing a joy because I'm getting down and washing the feet of my brothers and, and sisters? And then I sort of started to realize that as I washed the feet of my brothers and sisters, that's what it means to participate in the life and death of Jesus. I deny myself. I take up my cross and I wash feet. But in washing feet, I'm experiencing life. Because that's where the joy is. It's, it, that's the abundant life that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10. But then, it just carried on. And I started to ask myself some serious questions like this. Am I serving my family? I'm talking about my physical family there. Am I, am I serving my physical family in a Christ-like way? Or do I just want them to serve me? Am I serving my church family in a foot-washing way, or do I just want them to serve me? Am I serving the people that God is bringing in and around and moving in and out of my life? Am I seeking to wash their feet, or do I just want them to serve me in some way? And then after all that, I started to realize that I am self-serving in some ways. And I am wanting people to serve me, and my wife to serve me, and my kids to serve me. And, and then suddenly my heart goes, well, I need to go and run to my father. I've got to go and repent. I've got to go put it there. I've got to go and... I've got to, I've got to get my head around the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And Father, would you expose my heart? Would you renew my heart? Would you cleanse my heart? Would you wash my feet with the gospel again? And please, I want to confess. I want to turn. I want to turn away from that self-serving. And then, as I, as I went through the, wanted to go through the rest of the day and the rest of the week, I wanted this picture of this foot washing to be front lobe, portal, portal cerebral thing right in front of my head because I wanted it right there. There's, as people came into my office, I was on the phone and whatever. I wanted to ask myself quietly, how can I serve them? How can I, how can I wash their feet? However stinky or dirty it might be, what does that look like? And, and the way that I respond, the way that I think, whether it's the office staff, whether it's with Simon, whether it's on the phone, Do you think that's a little bit different to trying to read your four chapters a day and then just pat yourself on the back, say, yeah, I'm way on track with my reading plan? You might say, Paul, listening to all that, I'm exhausted. Well, so you should be. I was too. And you say, well, Paul, that didn't take 15 minutes. No, it didn't. But maybe, just maybe, It'll give you a little glimpse on this. Where Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate, you could you put the word meditate there, and we all with unveiled faces 
meditate on the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see it? As I gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ, as I engage with Him in His Word, as I vigorously self-examine in the light of Scripture, the Spirit, the Spirit will change me and change you. And we will become more like Christ. So you hear the two questions and I'm going to close with a prayer. Are you personally committed to ever knowing Christ more and more in His death and in His life? I'm pretty sure that every single one of you would say yes. That's what you want. I know, even if you're feeling a bit of a low ebb this morning, I know that's what you want. I know that. If you're a Christ learner this morning, that is what you want. But are you passionately, vigorously, fervently, urgently, humbly engaging, engaging the Word of God, asking the Spirit to grow. Have a look at this prayer. Read it for a moment. And I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Just you can pray it out loud and pray it quietly. Quietly or out loudly, just pray with me. Father, who caused all of your word to be written for our growing, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come and join me.